Welcome to No Matter What. I'm Hannah Seymour, and this podcast is all about being who God created you to be no matter what. No matter your past, your current circumstances, no matter your relationship status, your career journey, no matter what life throws at you. Each episode, I invite a friend to talk about what that actually looks like, to be who God created you to be no matter what. Well, welcome to No Matter What. I am so excited today. I am in the studio with Cindy Easley, who is my mother. Uh, My mom is an author, a speaker, a Bible teacher, a real estate agent, lots of hats, lots of roles, and I am so excited to have her in the studio today. Thanks for being here, Mom. Oh my goodness, what a privilege for me. (laughs) I I just can't even believe you want me. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Well, I always say, whenever I teach, it's like, 80 to 90% of everything I say is plagiarized from Michael or Cindy Easley. So it's only (laughs) fair that I have both of you on the show, certainly the first season, but I'm sure there will be some comebacks. So, well, I'd love that too. Okay. So we are going to jump right in. And really, where I want to start with you, you and dad met in college and y'all got married shortly after he graduated, right? You graduated first. Yes. And then dad graduated. Y'all got married. And then when did y'all start trying to have a family? We were married four years, Mm -hmm. uh, actually four years when you were born. So, you know, nine months shy of that. (laughs) We, uh, I, you know, once we got married, we were hanging around married couples with children and I started getting the baby bug. I mean, I was working, putting dad through grad school, so Mm -hmm. it's not like I could have a baby yet. I needed, we needed the income, but It was, yeah, about four years Uh into it. And, I mean, that age, Cindy Easley, or even younger Cindy Sherwitz, what was kind of your hope, your vision for your family in the future? Well, first of all, I didn't think I'd get married so young. I got married at 22. I mean, you know, in college, you all think you're going to find your husband in college. And and Michael and I didn't start dating until after college. So. But then once I got out of college, my expectation was that I was going to work for a year and then go to law school. So I wasn't actually even looking for a husband uh-huh. at that point. It kind of caught me off guard. Sure. But I'm the youngest of five kids, so I always wanted a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. To me, I, I like a happy chaos, mm-hmm. and that just that worked for me. So that was my plan. My plan was once we were ready to start having kids, that we would have a kid every other year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would settle for four. <laughs> And, uh, you know, just raise all my kids together and have one big, happy, chaotic family. Uh-huh. And was dad on board with this? Four kids in, no. what, eight years? No, no. <laughs> he was, let's do one at a time. That was his. That's my answer. That's Yeah, funny. let's take one at a time. <laughs> well, whatever. So it sounds like basically you and dad started trying to have kids and you pretty much got pregnant immediately with me. Yep. Like the first month. Yep. Like the first <laughs> month. TMI for you, daughter. <laughs> no, but so, so that was easy. I mean, having babies like, yeah, we're in control of this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so then what happens? Well, when you were around a year old, maybe 11 months, I said, okay, every other year we got to get going on this. <laughs> I've got a plan. It's time. I have plans. And didn't get pregnant. Yeah. And six months went by and I didn't get pregnant. So I went to my OB Jen, who was a really great guy in Dallas, Texas. And um, he said, you know, let's try a few things. And so we were we were trying just different, you know, mild medications, nothing like overtly uh, infertility related. Sure. 
And uh, at a year, I went back, and I'll never forget walking out of there because he said, okay, you're considered infertile. Hmm. I was like, at a year, I mean, yeah. 12 months of trying, yeah. you're, you're, and it was like, I just had this stamp across my face that mm. meant I was less than or not as good as or whatever. Mm. So about that time, dad and I decided that we would go to an infertility specialist who was a godly man, really helpful. Yeah, He sat down with us the first time and took a yellow legal pad and wrote out, he goes, this is everything we can do. And he said, let's start with one. And I think at that meeting, dad said, do you think a year is long enough to try with infertility? Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, that gives us 12 tries. I think that is reasonable. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have insurance that covered our infertility. Well, that's what I was going to ask. I know y'all didn't have tons of money. So no, how did this work no. for y'all? Like, what did that do financially for you guys and just your marriage and stress? And well, you know, it's very stressful because as a woman, when you are not able to have a baby, every single month is a grieving cycle. Yeah. You know, you think you're pregnant, you hope you're pregnant, you have hope, yeah, and then you start your period yep. and you're back into grieving. So it's yep. a it's an emotional, uh, just coaster. horrible, yeah. horrible roller coaster. And I, I'm I know that there's men that would grieve in that same way, but but your dad did not. I mean, he yeah. wanted more kids, but you know he was new in the pastorate and had his job and he had other things consuming him. So. His thing was, how do I help my wife through this? How do I make her feel okay about herself? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then during that time, all of my friends were having multiple babies and, yeah. you know, I, very prolific. My family, I, I joke that my siblings walk past one another and they're pregnant. <laughs> I mean, walk past their spouses because they're all prolific. I was uh -huh. the only one who couldn't have more children. Yeah. Um, so, you know, all of that is weighing down on your heart and mind and, and it affects your spiritual relationship. It's some ways expect it affects your relationship with friends. Yeah. Um, especially friends that are sensitive mm -hmm. to how you're feeling and that they apologize. I remember one couple that came over, literally sat down and she sobbed and apologized that she was pregnant. pregnant. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it. I was like, hey, it's not, you know, <laughs> don't be sorry. Don't be you sad. You having a baby doesn't mean there's less babies in the that's world. Right, that's right. That's right. There's not so many babies up there <laughs> waiting to come down. Yeah, exactly. So it was, yeah, a hard time. Not, uh -huh. not easy. And, and again, going to the doctor and I had so many shots and so many sonograms uh -huh. and so many just different times that I, I felt like I was poked and prodded. And, and again, every time you have hope and then your hope is dashed mm. what did your conversations with God look like at that time a lot like let's make a deal mm. there were often times that I would like we would take a break from um, hormones mm -hmm. and I would say God this is the time for me to get pregnant mm. because I'll give you all the yeah, glory it'll be supernatural yeah, and, yeah yeah and I'll just I can tell everybody you did this it wasn't being on Clomid or or any other kind of drug yeah you did it and yeah. you know of course I didn't get pregnant that month <laughs> or those few months you know and looking back on that now I go oh foolish girl mm. because God gets the glory no matter what mm. yeah not if he gets it yeah period yeah but, you know, that's, that's I think, sometimes what you do when you're desperate. You mm -hmm. think, I'll help you along there, God, if yep. you just you know, do it my way. Yep, yep. 
So how long were y'all going through these, you know, infertility treatments and then kind of what evolved next? Well, I would say two years total, a year with my OBGYN and then a year with the infertility specialist. Around the end of the year with the infertility specialist, we got a call that there was a woman who was pregnant who was interested in placing their baby for adoption. And this was, I don't remember all the circumstances. It was a private adoption. I ended up calling a friend who was going to be our go-between, an attorney Mm -hmm. who was going to have a meeting with this woman. Um, he did. He felt he wasn't an adoption attorney, but I didn't even know that world yet. Sure. And, and in the back of our mind, we did say, you know what, if we can't have another baby, maybe we should adopt mm-hmm. it. We were always open to that. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't our first inclination. Sure. Thinking we needed to do have our family just like everyone else did. Right. But we got this call. It ended up that that fell through, mm-hmm. but it kind of reframed our thoughts and that we started thinking more and more about adoption. So at that point, you know, this was way before Google or anything, any kind of online research I could do. So I got out the yellow pages. We were in Dallas, Texas, and I called every adoption agency in the yellow pages and asked them about their adoption process. One of the things I learned really quickly was because we had a baby already, Mm -hmm. we were um, immediately disqualified from many uh, adoption agencies because at that time there were 40 couples in Dallas County for every baby available. And so, right. So there just were not a lot of babies and we were extremely open uh-huh. into race, into most health issues, uh-huh. because we felt like if, if God allowed me to get pregnant, I wasn't going to go, oh, that baby's That's a health issue. Yeah, yeah. let's yeah. stick it back, you yeah. know. So we felt <laughs> the adoption agency was like, oh, you're an open couple, yay. But anyway, we finally found an agency in Dallas, Texas called Hope Cottage. Yeah. And they were uh, worked with our, our fee schedule. Your, it was a sliding scale based on your income, and mm-hmm. we made very little money at the time. Mm-hmm. And so that was helpful um, and started their classes. You had to take classes to learn how to be a parent, uh-huh. which there were two of us in this group of, of six couples that kind of laughed because we had kids. <laughs> and so where it was theoretical to all these other people, yeah. we were like, we can tell you where the rubber meets the road right. because we're right in right. it. Right. I think we finished the class, and within a few months, three, four months, we got a call from a social worker that said, um, this still gets me to this day, (laughs) that said, um, hey, we have a baby for you. We have a baby girl. Um, We need you to come in, look at her picture, and say yes or no. Wow. Yeah. And so we couldn't say yes or no on the phone. We had to go in and have an appointment. And so we were shown this this adorable little baby girl's picture. And um, we were uh, able to pick her up either the next day or two days later. I can't remember which. Uh, and that's your little sister, Jessie. Yep. Yep. Don't know if you remember getting her, but you actually got to meet her before we did. I've seen it on the VHS tape, but <laughs> I don't have it. a true memory of it. <laughs> um. You know, and I'll tell people that this process for me was, it was such a privilege Mm -hmm. to be able to see why God chose a path I didn't choose for me Mm -hmm. because I had the living, breathing answer 
with mm. this little girl who, um, as you know, has just become the delight of our family. Yeah. I mean, she's our family comedian, and she's Miss Energetic, and we all just adore her at 30 years old. She's just, yeah, she's we the just, best. she's the best. <laughs> and so, you know, I can't imagine to have life without Jesse. Yeah. Even though up until that point, I'd controlled everything in my life. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, I was a believer. Yes, I, you know, said God was in control in air quotes. But it was really, I said, you know, graduate from high school, graduate from high school, go to college, went to college. I'm going to get married, got married, going to have kids, had that first kid. It literally was clockwork. Yeah. All of life had met my expectations until that. Yeah. So going backwards just a little bit, I mean... There are women, I have dear friends that are just dying to have a baby. And um, what was that like for you of kind of in a way, I mean, not that that option was closed to you, but in a way you did turn a corner of going, okay, I don't think the Lord is going to give me a baby naturally. We're going to move towards adoption. Do you remember that being a significant shift for you emotionally or spiritually? Or was it just kind of like, we're just doing the next thing? No, I would say it was a significant shift in that it dawned on me I could try infertility forever and never have a baby, but at the end of every adoption is always a baby Mm. or a child. Mm. And and I will tell mothers that I meet with that even today are suffering through infertility the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, That wasn't a stretch for me. I I didn't have any doubt that I could love this child as much as I loved you. I had absolutely no doubt. Yeah. now, did I still, in the back of my mind, hope and pray I got pregnant along with adoption? Sure. Right. But but the beauty of it is I didn't have that stress. I didn't have that focus mm-hmm. anymore to where I anticipated getting pregnant or even had the hope that I was pregnant. Yep. I mean, it might have been there, but it was so much less it was unimportant. Right. So fast forward like five more years and we've moved from Texas to Virginia in that time. And from my memory, you and dad sat Jesse and me down in our living room, not the room that we spend time in with the right. TV, like the, the, the fancy formal, formal living room, room <laughs> that we were pretty much not allowed to go into and told us that y'all were proceeding down the path of adopting two more children. <laughs> well, it, probably at that point, because Jesse was eight and you were okay so it was eight years later right well right well and before that we'd gone back and forth like we once we moved into the dc area we had a larger home we were like we need to fill this house up (laughs) and not only that jesse had she was in such a sweet spot in her life Mm -hmm. Uh, when we moved to dc she was four she became this this bubbly happy person and so we were like gosh you know maybe we're we can do this again. And mm-hmm. we knew that we didn't want to adopt one more child and then wait a few more years and adopt one more. We uh-huh. knew we wanted a sibling group. And so um, we started, you know, one of us would go, yes, let's adopt. And the other would go, eh. And, th- and we just did that back and forth for about three years mm-hmm. until we were both on the same page. Mm-hmm. And when we arrived on the same page, we probably told you that this is what we were considering doing before we even started a home study because, of course, y'all had to be interviewed, interviewed. by the social yeah. worker. But yeah, that's we just decided, you know what, we've wanted four. Let's go ahead and pursue that and see what God has for us. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is another area where, you know, y'all were taking steps towards something. Y'all were looking, I think, international. Originally. Actually, Russia. We had two children uh-huh. chosen. 
uh-huh. from Russia. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing videos and photos. And I mean, I still remember their names. Like these were our siblings. These were your children. Yep. And dad just kind of maybe was not quite sure. Well, you know, it's very, very expensive to adopt internationally. It's expensive to adopt, period, but but internationally at the time. And, and again, we didn't have a lot of cash sitting around. Mm-hmm. We were paying bills on time, and we lived without debt, but we just didn't have the money. So Dad kept saying, I'm just waiting for somebody to drop $20,000 in our lap, and then we have the green light. Mm. Truly, that simple. And so one day, I got a call again. I guess I'm the easiest one to get a hold of and pre-cell phone. So it had to be on a landline and um, our social worker that did our home study for our international adoption said, Cindy, we have two kids here, a little boy and little girl, siblings, half siblings that the DC court has ordered us to place into a family. We want to know if you're interested. We're interviewing three families but you're one of them that we'd like to talk to. And my initial response was, well, no, because we, we have, have kids in, yeah. Russia, in Russia. I've already fallen in love with them just based on their pictures. Yeah. And so I called dad and he said, of course we're going to consider it. I've been <laughs> waiting for money to drop in our lap. And instead, God's dropping kids in our lap. <laughs> and so we had an appointment sometime that week with the social worker and, um, Interestingly, the next day or a few days later, she was supposed to interview all three families. We were leaving for two weeks. Dad and I had a speak, couple of speaking engagements back-to-back, and we were taking you girls with us. Yep. And uh, the social worker called before we left, and she said, we actually have to still interview the other two families, but they're yours. We've already made that wow. decision. Wow. Uh, yeah, incredible. And she just said, I just wanted you to know before you left town. Again, there wasn't an easy way to get us once we left town mm-hmm. because no cell phones. Right. So that was kind of a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. You know, we thought that adoption was out there. The children in Russia were a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Um, your siblings, Devin and Sarah, were at the time around two and a half and three and a half, mm-hmm. a little bit younger mm-hmm. than I had anticipated. But um, again, saw their pictures, fell in love with them. Yep came back from our trip met them and you know you (laughs) I know people sometimes think how can you love a child that you didn't give birth to Mm -hmm. let me tell you Mm -hmm. you see them and they're yours Mm. you touch them they're Mm -hmm. yours Mm -hmm. maybe maybe even more so for women Mm -hmm. and our our need to nurture there was never any doubt yeah that Jesse Devin and Sarah were not meant for us yeah yeah Okay, so going back to the infertility years, which is just so funny because, you know, while it was two years in the moment, which probably seemed like 10, and then now we're on the other side and you have four kids and it's so clear how God had planned it out all along. You know, I I love our hindsight really is 2020. We could go, oh, that's what God was doing, you know, and really I think God's like, I was doing so much more and things that you won't even know until you're on the other side and you're with me in heaven. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, I think we are going to spend eternity just like learning all the things that God was up to and seeing how everything connects. But those two years of infertility, I know because I'm watching sweet friends go through it now, it is grueling and to grieve a hope 
that you've had and you're not sure God's going to deliver the way that you wanted and, you know, praying (laughs) verses like, you know, delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Yeah. That verse did not mean a lot to me then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or it proved false. It felt false. So, you know, talking to yourself back then or talking to someone listening right now that's just in that puddle of infertility, what is scripture that really would have helped you at that time or really encouraged you? There's tons, you know, anything about God's sovereignty, anything about his plan for my life, the fact that he has my best in mind always. Sometimes it's hard to believe that when you think your best is one thing and it's obvious that God's is a different thing. Yeah. One verse that I, I, to this day, come back to over and over is Psalm 25, 10. And it said, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. I love that. For one thing, it's paths. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say the path of the Lord. Mm. I sometimes think we think our life should be a certain way or it's a dot. Yep. When I think it's more like arteries or veins, mm-hmm. that there's multiple ways that God can work in and through us mm-hmm. and can work for his good pleasure. And every one of them are proof of his steadfast love and faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And just like you said, God is doing so much more than just giving Cindy children. Right. And he continues to do it through our story, not only being able to share infertility, but to share Uh, what it was like to raise four children that have been complicated. Some complicated issues have come up. But I just think, young woman, if you're out there struggling with infertility, know that God loves you. He adores you. Mm -hmm. He's not withholding from you Mm -hmm. because you've done anything wrong Mm -hmm. or because he's unhappy with you or he doesn't think you're going to be a good mother or any of the other self-talk, negative self-talk we Mm -hmm. give ourselves. He has and is doing so much more than mm-hmm. you can comprehend. And his steadfast love, his faithfulness is right there. Mm-hmm. We just have to see it. Mm-hmm. Just want to interrupt this conversation for a second to talk about high school graduation gifts. Tis the season when students are graduating high school and headed off to college. And I have the perfect gift for you to give a college bound girl. It's my book, The College Girls Survival Guide, which I wrote from my 10 plus years of working on college campuses and mentoring college students. It's biblically based, but a super practical approach on how to handle the ups and downs of college life, covering the top 52 biggest concerns of college women today. Things ranging from roommate conflicts to dating relationships, how to stand firm in your faith to finding career direction. You can buy it from me at hannahseymour.com and I will personalize it by writing a note to your college bound girl and sign it for free. If you just use the code, no matter what, all one word at hannahseymour.com, but get it now because I have a limited amount of copies. Again, that's code, no matter what at hannahseymour.com. What do you do with the feelings and the thoughts? You said it earlier. I'm less than. I can, because I can't have children, I'm less than. I'm inadequate. I'm broken. I'm, you know, whatever. What what would you tell someone who's who's thinking that stuff right now? It's lies from the pit of hell. <laughs> your your worth is not based on whether you can be a mama or not. Yeah. It's not based on whether you're a good mama for one particular day or during a 
a particular. Praise God, because yeah. I was not a good mom this morning. <laughs> well, and you know, it's it's not based on anything we do. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Whether we do amazing, great works or we do no works at all, yeah. our value is based on the fact that God says we're valuable. Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing is to just keep that in mind. Keep in mind that God does not wish you harm. He's not withholding love. He's mm-hmm. not holding good things from you. Mm-hmm. He's not even withholding the desires of your heart. Yeah. I know that we we think, well, this is the desire of my heart. But I think if we really dig deep into that, our desire is for purpose, significance. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily for a child. And that's what you're thinking. Oh, I need a child because it will. And, and I, I don't think. In the forefront of our mind, we're thinking this. But when you don't have something, it becomes all that more important and precious to you. God is just, he loves you. And you don't know what's at the end of this. I would also say if you're struggling with infertility, please consider adoption. Mm -hmm. Realize that God builds families other ways. Mm -hmm. It is not just through the process of having a baby. Mm-hmm. Will you miss, and I've talked to young women who never had a baby. I am privileged that I was able to carry you. Sure. So I've had that experience that they mourn that experience. But let me tell you, that's nine months of your life. Yeah, that's true. And some women, it's not all that pleasant, right? right? So, <laughs> right. so again, at the end of every adoption is a baby. Yeah. You can do infertility for years and IVF and, and all the things that they have today that they didn't have for me 30 yeah. years ago. Yeah. You can do all those things and still never have a baby yeah. because God is the one who puts the baby in the womb, that's right. not those doctors. Yeah, that's right. So I think you and I have both said to each other in private conversations, you know, you believe that God truly closed your womb after me because Jesse, Devin, and Sarah were born to be Easleys. They were born to yes. be part of our family. Yes. But that hasn't, in our current state, this is not the end of the story, thank you, Jesus, but in our current state, that doesn't look like this one big happy family of, you know, four kids and two parents who get together all the time and enjoy each other. And not to go into a ton of detail, just I think out of respect for my siblings, but there's a lot of brokenness right now in our relationships with my two youngest siblings. Um, what do you do with that? You know, I mean, how do you reconcile? Okay, Lord, I, I it's obvious that, you know, I, I wanted to have children naturally and that wasn't your plan. So I got on board with that and I've been so blessed by that. And, but, and yet still my family does not look like how I hoped it would, how I want it to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yes, if you'd have told me when I was adopting children that we were going to have this amount of brokenness and dysfunction with the two youngest ones, I probably just wouldn't have believed it, honestly, because I thought, you know, we're good parents. Well, (laughs) and we we, (laughs) dad and I talk about how we were so naive. We thought if we bring these kids in, we love them to pieces, which we did. We teach them about Jesus. Yeah. Everything's great. You know, it worked with the first two. So we thought it would work with the other two. Right. (laughs) Two things. I think that God puts things in your life that cause you to be dependent on him. Mm -hmm. You know, again, this is something I can't control. Mm -hmm. I've tried. Mm -hmm. I've enabled sin thinking I was helping them get out of it, Mm -hmm. which doesn't make a lot of sense unless you have children that are in. A mama heart. It's like. Right. (laughs) That are in situations that you don't see it as enabling sin until later. I just never, ever thought that things would be this way. 
dad talks about when your life doesn't turn out as you expected. Mm -hmm. Um, It's okay, though. It's okay because I know God's steadfast love Mm -hmm. and faithfulness are still around me. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, I have that negative self-talk of, you know, had you been a better mother, had you done things differently? Mm -hmm. And truly, I know that's not true. I know that every person has to make their own choices. Mm -hmm. And the two youngest have just chosen things that I would not have wanted for them to choose Mm -hmm. that have been harmful to them. Mm -hmm. I can't control it. I love them. I pray for them daily, often more than once a day. Right. Um, I ask God to pursue them, to make himself known to them, mm-hmm. to put them in situations and with people that will draw them back to him. Mm-hmm. But I know I'm not the one to do that. Yeah. At least at this point, I'm not the one to call them back to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Not that in a conversation I wouldn't do that, but sure. I'm not, I'm not going to pursue them in that vein. Right. Because I think it's going to have to be somebody different than our family that does that. Yep. A conversation I find I'm having a lot on this podcast is just this idea of what happens when we let our circumstances tell us who God is. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, I mean, again, I feel like I'm interviewing a lot of people and they just get to tell their story. This is your story, but it's also, you know, I share part of it too. and, And I look at this and I just think this isn't fair. And I mean, if I let this circumstance tell me who God is, it's that Like, God's not fair. It's not fair that he would choose to create our family by adoption and then that not turn out well. I mean, and probably my greatest struggle is looking at them and thinking they were rescued from a horrible birth mother situation and placed in a wonderful, loving, consistent Christian home. And yet they have not turned out really any differently than they would have had they just been left in their birth mother situation. And that just feels, it just feels unfair. It feels unfair to me as a sibling. It feels really unfair when I think about you and dad and what that means as parents. I I mean, what do you do with that? You know, I never think about God being fair or unfair. Mm -hmm. I know he's good. Mm -hmm. I think life can be unfair. I mean, we can look at it that way. Yeah. As you said earlier, their story story isn't completely written. Yeah. I still have hope. Yeah, me too. Um, that they will come around and come back. And honestly, uh, you know, my biggest desire is that they turn back to Jesus. Yeah. But my lower level desire is just that they would become healthy, successful adults. And by successful, I mean living a life free of the law and drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that they would enter back into a relationship with our family. So that, you know, that's a different, completely different level. Um, What does it look like when we get together as a family? It's just the four of us right now. It's you and dad and me and Jess and we, and and our husbands. husbands. (laughs) (laughs) And my perfect grandbabies. Yes, and your grandchildren. Uh, So I guess it's not the four of us. It's like the eight of us. Um, And we have a blast. I mean, we love each other. All of us have great relationships. It really is just a dream. I don't think about it every time, but I know you do. I know in the back of your mind, it's, I'm missing two of my kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, this whole show is about how do you be the 
person God created you to be no matter what, essentially no matter the hurt. And what does that look like for you? In the greatest highs and joys of our family coming together, I know there's there's hurt for you well, right below the surface. Well, and there's sadness, not only that we're missing them, but that they're missing out on us yeah. because we do have so much fun and yeah. we are so close. You know, again, I just have to go back and rest on the truth. And the truth is God is good. Mm. The truth is that he's faithful. Mm-hmm. The truth is that he loves me no matter what. And the truth is that every one of us has a free will. I can't make the choice for anyone else, including my children. I've seen God use our story over and over. Um, Dad and I have met with couples in brokenness who have just discovered things about their children or walking the path with their Mm -hmm. children. And just to be able to say, we don't have answers, but we understand. Yeah. And that because your child is a prodigal and because they're making horrible decisions, uh-huh. it doesn't mean that you're a terrible person or a terrible parent. Right. All of that to me has been a little side of how God has used us in this, mm-hmm. in our life. And I think. Everything we go through, we have two choices. It's to throw ourselves more on God mm-hmm. or to turn our back and say, you're, you're not fair in your words, so therefore I won't trust you, love you, whatever. That's yeah. never been a choice for me. Right. Oh, my gosh. If I didn't have God to go to for comfort and for peace, mm-hmm. just to know there's someone bigger mm-hmm. who's sovereign and that he loves my children more than I do. Yeah. I mean, that, I just can't imagine not having a sovereign father Mm -hmm. who is there to walk with me, to carry me through this sadness. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, for folks who are listening to this and a friend of theirs is either going through infertility or a friend of theirs is going through something similar with a prodigal child. How how would you encourage that person to be a good friend to someone in that situation? Oh, that's a great question. So let's talk infertility first. I can remember when all of my friends were getting pregnant or even not, even, even older women in the church who'd been prolific. And some of the things that they would say, they were uncomfortable. They didn't know what to say. Yeah. So that they would say things that were uh, stupid. I mean, I hate to say that, right. but 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 they would make light of it. They would say things like, "Gosh, don't you know how to do that?" You know, oh, eye roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's like when people t- ask Tyler and I if we figured out how we're getting pregnant. Right. You know? yeah. I'm pretty sure <laughs> we, had, we know that. We had two together. Yeah, Please. yeah, exactly. Um, I would say the best thing is if your friend is not able to get pregnant, suffering through infertility, just love her. Just call her. How are you doing? Mm -hmm. Try not to talk about your children 24-7. Take her out to lunch or do something with her. And don't talk about your kids at all. (laughs) Because it hurts her even though she knows that you're having children and her of having children have nothing to do with each other. Right. It's still a reminder of loss to her. You know, it's kind of like how you would approach someone who's just lost someone they love. Mm -hmm. A woman in fertility is in the constant state of loss. Mm -hmm. So it's dealing with her that way, Mm -hmm. gently, knowing that this is very real to her. Mm -hmm. To interrupt you, not the same thing, but, you know, I often, when I'm posting something on Instagram about our family or my kids, 
I, I never post without pausing first and thinking, how is this going to rub friends that I have who do not have children and desperately want them and just trying to think through that. I don't think it means I don't post about my children or my family, but really sweet. I think of the Lord a few weeks ago, I have a dear friend who's not married and doesn't have kids. And she texted me and said, you would never know this, but earlier this morning, I had a moment where I was looking at a sweet little family, a husband and wife, a baby. And I just, Satan just whispered to me, you'll never have that. Mm -hmm. And and she said, you know, a couple hours later, I'm flipping through Instagram and I had just specifically posted something that was like me and the boys at the breakfast table. And like, this is just what my life feels like. I feel like all I do is like make meals and clean up meals and we just do it until they go to bed, you know? And again, I had thought about not that friend specifically, but just in general, how is this going to rub friends who don't have what I quote unquote have? And for whatever reason, she saw that and was able to in her words, you know, God allowed me to rejoice for you in what you're having and me to like be in that with you. And it's okay that I don't have that. I want that specifically had been battling spiritually on that same topic. And, you know, I guess I just bring that up to say, God's just so gracious and kind and letting us be where we are and be good friends with people who are in different seasons and how, like I can grieve with that friend and and hope for her because I you know I think if she wants to get married and have children she can do that yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. and I know she's waiting on the Lord's timing and I think that is wise of her because well there's a lot of reasons why that's wise but I don't know just the I I can be where I am and she can be where she is and and we can love each other and trudge through it together yeah absolutely and and I think that's what friendships about I yeah. think. I love your sensitivity and thinking mm. through what you're posting that, you know, this can cause somebody pain. Obviously not your intention. Of course. But I, I love that. I love that you think through those things. Mm. I will say something you said made me think too, that if you're going through infertility, I do think there's a huge spiritual battle and that you need to ask God to remove the spirit of envy from mm. you. I've actually... <laughs> had God show up in a big way about something materialistic, had nothing to do with kids, but going to a, a friend's house years ago that was an absolute stunning house and walking through and feeling so covetous mm. and going home and saying, Lord, this is one of my closest friends. I'm going to be at her house a lot. I cannot feel this way. Yeah. I, and literally it was removed Wow. to where immediately wow. I was happy for her. I thought oh what a cool place to go hang out <laughs> you yeah. know I just it it I, I thought oh my goodness Holy Spirit you really are there to yeah. remove now do you have to pray it over and over maybe Sometimes. this I didn't have to right on this doesn't right. mean I'm better it's just that was God's mercy in my yeah. life yeah but I do think you really need to if you are going through infertility or if you know for me in my stage today I'll look at people <laughs> dad and I'll tease we'll look at somebody with three or four kids that are like walking with Jesus doing great and we go yeah. how did they do that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of our yeah. whoa more often than not families look that way on the outside but yeah. inside they're they've got Still their has dysfunction right <laughs> right but but it's also uh, me looking at those families going being grateful yeah. 
Yeah. That their kids are doing well. Yeah. And not going, why not me? Right. That's so unfair yeah. or whatever. Yeah. It, it's the willingness to not have it all about me. Mm. And the same with infertility. You have to at some point go, you know what? This isn't all about me. Mm. It's also me learning, me growing, me allowing the spirit to live through me, change me, make me more like Jesus, mm -hmm. which is not coveting or envious mm -hmm. or, or any of those other mm -hmm. negative emotions that can arise mm -hmm. when someone has something we don't. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for the friend of someone who is really struggling with a prodigal child, what would you say to them to be a good friend to someone who's really struggling with that? Just love them. It's yeah. the same loss. Yeah. You know, um, you talked about us getting together as a family. The worst times for me are holidays. Yeah. You know, as you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas used to be like, I couldn't wait for those seasons. Yeah. And now I almost dread them mm -hmm. because I know I'm going to have that hole, that missing. Yeah. And that's really not true because once the day comes, I have a blast all of it. But so I would say, again, just be there. Don't judge them. Don't make them feel like they did something wrong. Mm -hmm. I've never had anybody do that, but I also know people with a bunch of good kids don't understand. Yeah. Just love them. Tell them you're praying for their kids. Oh my goodness. Mm. When somebody tells me that and I know it's sincere, it makes my day. Yeah. It might be even stopping and praying with me in that moment. Yeah. Because really that's all we can do at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Just love, understanding, compassion. Yeah. No judgment. Yeah. What's a final verse or passage of scripture that you would give to someone struggling with either of these two things right now, either of these two, no matter what, if you will. <laughs> I love Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Mm -hmm. God is declaring that to us plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future. And that hope and future may not look like what we think it should look like. Yeah. And yet, it is his promise. It is a promise we can stand on, we can take to the bank. God has plans not to harm, mm. but for hope and a future. And he's declaring it to you today. I think that's something that, that we all have to remember when it feels like our paths are harmful. Uh, not harmful, really, but not what we want. Mm -hmm. To know that it is not, that is not God's intent. Mm -hmm. And I think when we reframe what we know about God, when we remember that God is good, that he is faithful, that it does have steadfast mm -hmm. love, then I think we can remove that and realize that I don't get it. Mm -hmm. I don't like it, mm -hmm. but I know that God loves me and that this is not meant to cause me stress or yep. hurt, yep. but just to show me more of who he is. Mm -hmm. Well, for those of you listening who are in the trenches, I pray that that encourages you and emboldens you to keep on trying to be who God created you to be in the midst of it all. Thanks for being on the show, Mom. Oh, my complete pleasure. Okay, folks, a few things before I sign off. One, I have a super important favor to ask of you, and that is, would you take 30 seconds to rate and review no matter what on iTunes? You've heard the spiel before. Ratings and reviews help podcasts get noticed and found by other people. And I sure am hoping that you were challenged and encouraged enough by this episode to think, hey, other people need to hear this too. So please subscribe, rate, and review no matter what. 
two on the topic of sharing is caring. I am desperate for your help in getting the word out about no matter what. So would you share this with your friends and with your social media tribe? It would mean so, so much to me. Finally, just wanted to let you know our next episode will drop next Tuesday, and I know it will encourage you to keep your head up and focus on being who God created you to be no matter what.